my name is Jennifer Christ, um, and my father is August Christ, who is currently residing in state prison in South Carolina um, for the past about five years. Um, he was once known as the biggest white supremacist in this country. When I was a child, he had paraded me on, on television, on several different talk shows uh, to spouse and repeat the beliefs that he instilled in us as children. Um, he is actually in prison now because of child molestation. Um, I was a, uh, I'm a survivor of that. Uh, as are the rest of my sisters. When I had reported him in 1996 for what he did to um, my sister and I, the authorities just didn't care. <laughs> no one seemed to care. Um, and fast forward almost 20 years later, and he was finally uh, brought to justice and convicted for molesting my half-siblings down south. So wow. that's basically the story. I'm a survivor of, you know, being um, force-fed hate and also child abuse. Wow. The ma my main goal in life now is to just tell my story so that I could possibly help other people. Especially survivors of abuse. Yeah. But thanks for having um, me. For yes. having me on. I'm glad to have you on. Um, what was life like growing up, um, like in the Aryan Nations and in that environment and being taught all of those things and the hate and the racism from a young age? Like, what was that? Was that all you knew? growing up or how did that kind of work? Well, I feel like I, a, a lot of times I was living two different lives because it would be one thing at home or around, uh, you know, other people in the, in the white power movement. And then it would be completely different when I went to school. Okay. I, I, I would treat everyone the way they, you know, would treat me. I, I didn't care. I really didn't carry that stuff over to school at all. Right. Even in, say, high school, uh, when I was, you know, a little bit older, I, I, it was, it was kind of weird when I think about it. I would have to go and do these talk shows and then return to school a couple days later. Mm. And I never spoke about it to anyone in school or anything like that. Let's not no. get it twisted. I no, never, I never wanted to do those talk shows ever. I had to. Um, he would, my, my biological father, August, he would threaten me. Uh, he would try to guilt me into it. You know, we need the money. Uh, you know, things like that. And then the very last 
it was like second to the last or the last talk show that I had went on um, for him. I say for him because he's the one who wanted me to do it. I said, no, absolutely not. I'm not doing it. I don't want to do that anymore. It's insane. And he flipped out. He flipped out. I thought he was going to hurt me. Mm. He didn't really leave me much choice. But I think it's evident in how as soon as I was able to get away, when I graduated high school, I did exactly that. I Mm -hmm. got away. No one ever saw me again. Kept my head down. Now, how was that um, being able to leave all that? Because not only are you surrounded by these people um, in your father's home, and then you're also dealing with the abuse that was going on. So you have an immense amount of trauma from coming at you from all angles. Like what gave you the motivation and the strength to be like, you know what, this is enough and I'm done and I'm gone and to just do it. Well, thinking back to childhood, the abuse, the the sexual abuse ended when I was approximately 14 years old. And that the, the, the last time that that actually took place, I had finally, and I think this is why it ended, I had finally fought back, fought for my life that day, uh, quite literally. And there were things that went on uh, after that, like he'd make comments and, and things like that, but like the actual physical part, uh, that's when it ended. As far as um, what gave me the strength to almost four years, well, about four years later, to actually go to the police was my sister. My sister, um, my full-blooded sister, had came to me one day on the computer, on a chat program on the computer, and told me that she had something to tell me. And just, it was just the way, even though I was texting, it was just the way she was saying it. My heart started pounding. And I felt like I was going to throw up because I... I I just somehow knew what she was going to tell me. And that's exactly what she told me. It's some, it's the abuse is something that we had, even though it was happening to both of us, we had never confronted each other with, Mm -hmm. never spoke about it to each other ever at all. Um, But I always hoped it wasn't happening to her. And I prayed to God all the time, even though I was just a kid. I would pray to God and tell God to let me take the burden of all of it. And so, you know, so he, so it wouldn't be happening to my sister. And, uh, unfortunately it didn't work out that way. But as soon as she told me that day, I literally put my shoes on and drove to the police station and turned them in. It was one thing that had happened to me. But 
she was still living in that house. I had to save her. She's my best friend, you know, my whole life. So that was it. That is what gave me the strength that day. 100% was to save my sister. Now with that, I mean, obviously, like you said, um, you went to the police that day. Um, and if you don't mind me asking, um, for those that don't know the, some of the story, um, unfortunately it didn't end there that day when you went to the cops and told them what had happened. Um, and I know this is very difficult and delicate to talk to talk about what happened after that because like I, like we know the story didn't in there and unfortunately you said in the beginning that uh he is currently in prison for what he did obviously to you but also to your half siblings your half sisters um well actually Acacia he's not in prison for what he did to to me or my full-blooded sister okay I, I do not understand, and I never will, no one does, why charges weren't brought against him um, from Potter County, Pennsylvania. The county prosecutor refused to charge him, refused to even investigate it. It doesn't make sense. It never has made sense. It, and it also didn't make sense to um, fast forwarding almost 20 years later. It didn't make sense to the South Carolina police investigating it and prosecutors and stuff as well. Um, there was plenty enough evidence. I mean, because they dropped the ball with it, there were three more victims three more survive. I hate that word victims, but yeah, three more of his daughters were molested after that for almost 20 years. So you know, basically to, to quote a saying is that blood is on their hands as far as I'm concerned. Right. As well as other people's that right. knew that were warned that that's what he was doing and that's the type of man he was. Man, he's not a man, he's a monster, but those children should have been protected by their other parent. Right. Oh yeah, I definitely agree with that one. And it's, it's, it's hard. Um, so, and I, and I like how you said, you know, not a victim, but a survivor. Because as you and I both know, and I've told other people before, you know, it's like, you have a choice. You don't have a choice whether or not to be attacked or have something happen to you or be made a victim at the moment that something is happening. You do have a choice later on as to whether or not you're going to remain a victim or if you're going to be a survivor. And, you know, you, you can, horrible things happen, 
but you can choose whether or not you are going to allow that to stop you or if you're going to allow that to push you forward. And obviously, I mean, I'm sure you have had to deal with that trauma for your life and you'll have to deal with a lot of it for the rest of your life. But, you know, seeing here, you here right now, it's living proof that it doesn't end there. You know, the story isn't, doesn't end with being a victim. So that is pretty amazing. And it takes a lot. People, <clears throat> people really need to understand. <laughs> I don't, I don't mean you because I'm sure you'll. Oh, agree. I know. People need to understand that when someone goes through trauma, like I have, and like you have, and so many of so many other people, both males and females, mm -hmm. that's with you for the rest of your life. You're going to struggle. It's going to affect every aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after years of therapy, um, that recently, um, I've accepted, I think, I, I think I'm pretty much to the point where I accept that it'll always be there. And another thing that I've come to realize is that there is no fully healing from that. There just mm -hmm. isn't. I think that's a line that a lot of therapists give us. Um, that's just not true. And I just want other survivors to, to know that it's okay if you're still hurting. It's okay if you go back and forth with it. One day you feel okay, or one year you feel okay, and then it all hits you again, PTSD or, or something like that. And it's okay. There's nothing right. shameful about that. It's normal. Yeah. And, and it really is. It, it's, it's easy to judge a book by its cover without knowing what's on the inside. Um, I tell a lot of people, you know, everybody is fighting a battle. You just don't always see it. And you don't always know what it is. And um, honestly, I wish a lot of the world would realize that. That, you know, everybody is dealing with something. They might be the worst person in the world, but they're still dealing with something, mm -hmm. you know. So you had, going back to the movement a little bit, you said, like you said, you know, you had this pretty much shoved down your throat and, you know, this is what it is. Now, growing up, you said that you never really let that carry on over into school and everything else. Um, was, how do you think you were able to have been around all of that? And really, what made you realize that, you know, people are just people and it was pretty much a bunch of crap and that, you know, they were no different than you. There was just something that it just seemed, it just didn't seem right to me when I was dragged to Bible study every Christian identity Bible study every Sunday. Um, it seemed, and as I got older, it just seemed, just seemed really corny to me. Mm -hmm. um, but 
you know, truth be told that even when I got away from all of that, when I was 18, there was still a period of deprogramming. There just was, you know, it, it would have been, you know, the perfect, great story if, you know, I had got away from all of that and, you know, everything was great right away. <laughs> But that's just that's just not reality that's just mm -hmm. when someone's programmed like that you have to unravel all of that oh yeah so you know and i'm just, even just little things even just little things you know would you compare it almost to be being like raised in a cult 100 percent. yeah and then of course my father, I believe he was hiding behind all of it. He was hiding. He was hiding behind the movement. He was hiding behind the Christian identity part. He wanted everybody to think he was this godly man. He used to make me sick, you know? So that's... um I, I, that's why I want no parts of organized religion because I've seen too much of that mm -hmm. within that. Right. Do you think a lot of people become a part of something like that because they are searching for something to hide behind or something to mask whatever it is their own issues they're dealing with? And so this, this gives them an outlet to do so. I think a lot of them, well, there a lot of them are searching for something. Mm -hmm. uh, you, it, whether it's, I think a lot of it has to do with something to fit in somewhere where they can be accepted. And it just depends on the person and the personality. It could be uh, someone who's searching for uh, like an ego thing you know, um, and women, I think a lot of them are sucked in. I don't know that I think the, the whole like women being involved in it is like a lot deeper, a lot mm -hmm. deeper reasons that I'm really not completely sure about, mm -hmm. you know, I think there's many different reasons for why women, but I guess many different reasons for why men get involved as well. Like they might, even as, even as far as they might see things going like sideways in the world or things really progressing too much for their mm -hmm. liking. Right. So they're, you know, looking for something to try to fix it. Right. When you were growing up, and um like earlier on in the movement and all that um and even now looking back at it what would you say that you saw the a woman's role would be within the far-right movement and within whether it was Aryan nations or like nsm kk any of those in the far right and in that movement what would you say that you saw the women's role as or was uh, I was younger, but to look at the adult women, 
it was pretty much to a, a supporting role. It was to take care of the children, to cook and clean, um, and to support to support the men, and not just their own husband, but whoever was around, you know, to feed them and everything like that. Right. Yeah, I saw a lot the same. I think it has changed some over the years. Um, part of that, I think, is because the women's role in society has changed. But I would definitely say it is definitely a supporting role. Because let's face it, without women, men are hopeless. <laughs> Not necessarily all men, and don't ever take that the wrong way. But no, I mean, essentially, we are the caregivers. We are the nurturers. Right. Um, and I know we were just having this conversation how, you know, somebody had once asked me, you know, if you had to cite uh, what, like one reason why women in the movement were more of a threat than men, what would it be? And it was essentially that, you know, we are the ones typically raising the next generation. Mm. We are the one instilling those values in our kids. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, obviously the mothers and the fathers play a role in that if they're in the movement and they have the ch their children and they're raised in it. Um, but you got to see that firsthand and thankfully you decided not to go that route, but there are others that do decide to go that route. Um, and I think that's a lot of how the movement sees it is that if you want anything to succeed in this world and in society and any kind of a movement, it starts with our youth. It starts with our kids. That's why we need to educate them when they're young. Um, right. On that we're all human. Yeah, we mm -hmm. are all different. Beautifully different. Because mm -hmm. there are things that you can do better than I can do. My oldest son has autism. And he would tell me, he's like, mom, he's like, well, I have this and I can't do this and I'm different. No, you're just as capable as any other kid because they might struggle at math. You might struggle at reading. Everybody has struggles. Everybody has different strengths. And mm -hmm. that's the beauty of it. And it, it's not about not maybe not even not necessarily seeing the differences, but not fearing those differences. I know you and I have talked before how a lot of things, and you've been mentioning it now, like how a lot of things within the movement itself, within a lot of these, it's fear-based. Mm -hmm. It's it's fear of the unknown. It's fear of something of ourselves. It's, it's fear of what we don't understand. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes instilled in us and ingrained in us. And right. we need to teach our children when it's young and we need to be able to have those conversations when they're young I remember mm -hmm. when you it has a, to start with exactly you did a podcast with Jeff one of the first beyond barriers ones and one thing that you said hit me so hard was that it starts at home and the only way to fight hate is with love and how mm -hmm. your son you had to explain to your son what racism was because they hadn't been around it because you chose not to raise your children in that manner and not to instill those things. I mean, it, it's proof that you're not born a racist. No, no one's born a racist for sure. You know, no, because that's not our, uh, hate is, 
hate is not a natural uh, emotion, mm-hmm. you know, that you, that you're born with. Yeah. And it, and it's not, it, it's, it's, um, Daryl Davis actually once said it that, um, you know, a tiger can't change its stripes, you know, um, a leopard can't change its spots. And that's true because they were born with those stripes. They were born with those spots, but you are not born with hate. So right. that you can change. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, the women's role in the movement has changed a lot over the years. And that's because the women's role in society has changed a lot. Um, and I also think that, and I, we were talking about it before that, um, I think women exert a lot more power than what they believe or even know that they do. Because I know Mm -hmm. in the years that I was involved, and if you ask any good recruiter out there for, especially the movement, what is a really good recruitment tool? A pretty girl, because that gets the men to come in and that gets them interested. And it's sadly enough, it's a tool. It's a really good recruitment tool. Like you said, the women were there supporting their husbands, supporting the other men in the organization or the group, um, the caregivers. Um, It it brings men in and it keeps them in is one thing. So I think it's, it's, people don't realize that. Say that again. That goes for everything in this world. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's not just a. Unfortunately. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. If there is one thing that you could tell a girl or a woman, young or old, that either may be involved because they were raised in it or got involved later on, maybe has kids now, um, what if you had one message or a message that you could send to them, what would it be? Save your children. That's your job now is to save your children. Trust me, you, you do not want your children to suffer the way I had to. Yeah. If there isn't anything that you could say to, um, I guess women or men, um, young or old that might be leaning towards the movement, maybe not because of anything necessarily that they actually believe in it, but because of all the racial tensions and divides and things, because let's face it right now is a prime recruitment time for these movements. Um, whether it's far left or far right, sadly enough, it's, it's, it's prime recruiting fields. Um, what, how do you deter somebody from leaning that way? Um, Cause I know like for me, part of it was um, almost a sense of security with it because um, in, in a very odd, weird way, they have a level of respect for women in a weird sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know for me, it it was like, okay, nobody's going to mess with me now. I'm in this now. Like nobody's going to mess with me. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, that's a very dangerous rabbit hole to jump down. 
Um, so if there is anything that you could say, you know, to anybody that was considering going down that path, um, what would you, what would you tell them? I think that for some people, and I don't know, maybe a lot of people, it's something that, I mean, we can tell them until the cows come home, but I think it's kind of like a drug addict who's going to remain a drug addict until they hit rock bottom mm -hmm. and they have to do it on their own and they have to want it on their own. Yeah. Um, I think that at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. I would tell them, you know, <laughs> I would want to shake them though and, and say, Hey, wake up. You have no idea how the hate holds you down and, you know, letting go of that is just uh, really freeing and how much better life is without it. Absolutely. And but they'll, they have to want it. I, I agree. And I think you're right on with saying that. Um, I, I tell people that, you know, it's kind of, I use the same example as a drug addict and, you know, you, somebody leaves the movement and a lot of times, you know, people are like, oh, that's so great of you. But then it's like, you know, taking a drug addict out of a drug house, handing them the keys to a brand new house and leaving them and going and expecting them to know where to pick up their life. And, you know, that's one of the reasons, you know, we do Beyond Barriers to help you learn those steps to pick up your life again, right. to help you deal with those traumas either because let's face it, everybody has trauma, like the common mm -hmm. narrative for people joining this movement and any of these extreme movements is trauma. But if it was only because of trauma, you'd still be there. If it was mm -hmm. only because of trauma, the the entire world would be only in extremes because mm -hmm. we've all had trauma and some way worse than others. Um, but you know, we need to, uh, they have to want it. You're exactly mm -hmm. right. You're exactly right. Have to um, be ready. Have to be ready. Yeah. And it's okay to doubt. It's okay to ask questions, you know, mm -hmm. um, real quick. What was the other one I wanted to ask? All right. Um, you mentioned being a survivor and, um, we talked about, you know, surviving the trauma. And you also mentioned that it takes a lot of deprogramming, no matter what the trauma is. A lot of times it takes a lot of deprogramming, um, because you went through the sexual abuse I've been through, um, some, I've also been a victim of rape, but I'm also a survivor of it because like we said, you know, you can, you choose whether or not you're going to remain a victim or if you're going to be a survivor about it or with it and use it to help others and maybe help prevent it from happening to others again. To the other survivors out there of abuse, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, sexual, whatever, um, 
if you could say anything to them, what what would you want to say to them? Two words. Keep going. Absolutely. And for the ones that want to speak up, but either don't think that they have the strength to or are not sure what to do, what would, if you could give them advice, because obviously if anybody's going to speak up or going to have the strength to do it, that comes with them and hopefully some support. It's not easy even if you have support. It's definitely not easy if you don't have the support. But um, if you could tell them anything and give them any advice or words of wisdom, what would that be? I would just tell them that um, holding everything inside is um, it's not healthy for physically or mentally or emotionally. And once you let it out, you feel, you feel free. You don't feel trapped anymore within that trauma. Hmm. And there's nothing to be ashamed over. You didn't do anything wrong. The perpetrator did. No matter what, you didn't do anything wrong. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you did. Everybody, I want to say on behalf of both myself and uh, the rest of the staff here at Beyond Barriers, I want to give a heartfelt uh, thank you for choosing to tune in tonight and, and to learn. Uh, you know, th this is nothing short of amazing what we do, and we will continue to put out material like this, but we can't do it without you. Check out www.beyondbarriersusa.org.